greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 161 Esther, Queen of Persia When Xerxes became king of Persia, the empire was at the peak of its strength and scope. The Persian domain stretched from India to Ethiopia, and it was organized into hundreds of provinces. The chest and arms of silver, as explained in the Daniel II image, was expanding its reach all around the earth. Persian King Xerxes is known as Ahasuerus in Hebrew, which is the name we find in the book of Esther. This incredible story begins in the royal palace at Shushan. In his third year on the throne, Xerxes called for a massive feast at his royal palace. All the princes, nobles, top army officials, and government officials came to Shushan. Xerxes showed off the full riches and splendor of Persia. He displayed the bountiful treasures he had captured in battle and the rare valuables he had received as tribute. These treasures may have included carved ivory from India and shimmering silk from Asia Minor. This feast lasted 180 days. This was not just a pompous display of wealth. Xerxes was planning his next military move. Egypt was in rebellion, and having conquered all of the Far East, Xerxes was turning his eyes westward. Greece was the next nation that stood in his way. After the 180 days were over and the Persian leadership began to depart, Xerxes held a week-long feast for the people of Shushan. This included everyone, small and great. He was probably pleased with his military plans and wanted to celebrate in grand fashion. The feast was held in the palace's extensive royal gardens. This seemingly insignificant event was a great turning point for the Persian Empire. The week-long feast featured extensive decorations, white, green, and blue linens hung from marble pillars fastened by silver rings. The beds the guests laid upon and ate from were fashioned of gold and silver, and all around were surfaces and columns of red, blue, white, and black marble. Wine was in abundance, and the king's mood determining how much wine the guests could drink. Happily for them, he was in a good mood. The officers and guests were pleased to do as they liked during the feast, and the wine flowed freely. On the seventh day of this feast, Xerxes was in an especially joyous state. He called for the seven chamberlains who personally saw to his needs. 
they quickly assembled before the king, who lounged on one of his golden couches. Mehuman, Bista, Harbona, Bigitha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Karkas. Go fetch Queen Vashti and bring her before the people. Make sure she is wearing the royal crown and jewels. I want the people to see how magnificent their queen is. As the seven chamberlains hurried away to find the queen, Xerxes looked over the vast crowd of people drinking wine and celebrating. He was certain that Vashti's appearance would be a fitting conclusion to the feast. She was renowned for her beauty, but the people seldom saw her. But when Vashti received the king's command, she refused to come. She didn't wish to be paraded in front of the king's guests. When the chamberlains informed the king that the queen had refused his command, Xerxes' jovial smile quickly turned into a scowl of rage. How dare Vashti defy my command, he exclaimed. What kind of man does she think I am to allow this? Xerxes looked around the room at his startled guests, then focused on the seven top princes in Persia who were sitting with him. You chief princes, what shall be done on this matter? He inquired. You know the laws and traditions of the Persians and the Medes. What should I do with this rebellious woman? The princes quickly discussed the matter with one another. After the short conference, one prince, Memucan, answered the king. When the public discovers what has happened, it may cause the other women in Persia to dishonor their husbands. If the king desires, send a royal decree declaring that all women are to honor their husbands, no matter if he is a great or humble man. They went on to advise Xerxes to put Vashti away and give her queenship to another more worthy than she. This appeased the king's wrath, and a royal decree was sent throughout the Persian Empire. The Persians took the command seriously. A new queen would be needed for the king. They couldn't have realized it at the time, but this would prove to be another step forward in God's plan to save his people. Before a new queen could be selected, Xerxes went to war against Greece. The conflict became a disaster for the king, and the Persian Empire's advance was stopped by some miraculous Greek victories. The legendary battles of Marathon and Thermopylae prevented Xerxes from marching westward, and he was forced to return to the palace of Shushan. Upon his arrival back home, Xerxes ordered all his servants to come before him. Let all of the beautiful women of Persia be brought before the king, he commanded. From these women, I will choose a new queen. See to it that this order is swiftly carried out. The decree was sent to all corners of the kingdom. Mordecai, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, who was living in Shushan at the time, had been a stranger in a strange land for many years. His family had been part of the captivity brought from Jerusalem 
when Nebuchadnezzar carried away Jeconiah. The rest of Mordecai's family had died or moved away from Shushan, except one. Mordecai took care of his young niece, whose parents had died when she was a child. Her name was Esther. Mordecai raised Esther as his own daughter, and she was trained in a God-fearing household. Esther was taken to the palace of the king with many other young women and was given into the care of Hegai, the king's chief servant. Almost immediately, Esther stood out from all the other young women of the kingdom. Although she was a beautiful woman, her character made her unique. Hegai was impressed by her polite manners, her obedience to instructions, and her self-discipline. He favored Esther with special kindness and the best place in the woman's quarters. Esther told no one that she was a Jew. Jews were regarded as a defeated and subdued people, looked down upon as less human than the rest of the peoples in the Persian Empire. Although a number of Jews were successful and prominent, many people disliked them. This hatred for the Jews is something that can be traced throughout history. It is an attitude many people fall into when they are deceived by the devil. Mordecai knew this attitude lingered in the Persian Empire, so he told Esther not to tell anyone of her heritage, fearing she would be treated poorly. While Esther was in the palace, Mordecai walked past every day and asked how she was doing. The women were prepared for the king through a year-long process of purification. The young women bathed in oil of myrrh for six months. For the next six months, they applied sweet lotions and perfumes to their skin. They also received queenly instruction for the entire year. After this year-long beautification process and instruction on how to talk with Xerxes, they were allowed only one evening with the king. The young women could request anything they wanted before they appeared to Xerxes, and Hegai would supply it. Out of all these women, only one would be crowned queen. The king would also choose some to become concubines, but they could only approach the throne if called by name. The women only had one chance to make an impression on Xerxes before having their fates decided. Hoping to impress the king, many of the young women asked to be adorned in the most luxurious and extravagant jewelry, clothing, and makeup. Esther asked for nothing like that. She simply wore elegant clothing that reflected her more humble upbringing. All the servants were impressed by Esther. She was clearly different from all the other women of Persia. Finally came the day when Esther would be presented before the king. As soon as she entered his presence, 
Her respectful attitude and simple charms won him over. The king favored her over all of the other women and made her queen of Persia. This young, God-fearing Jewish woman was suddenly catapulted into a position of wealth and influence. The happy days returned for Xerxes, and he held another great feast for his new queen. All the princes, governors, and government officials were present. Esther still told no one she was a Jew, and it seemed like it would never need to be said. She did not understand yet why God had placed her in such a high position, but events would soon make it very clear. Right after Esther became queen, a plot was hatched to assassinate King Xerxes. Mordecai worked as a government official in the king's gate, probably as an accountant. Two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, were angry with Xerxes. Mordecai overheard their plot and told Esther to inform the king. After she did so, the two men were arrested and hanged. Esther gave the credit to Mordecai, gaining him a good reputation with the king. The blessings seemed to be pouring in for Esther and Mordecai. However, the greatest challenge for the people of God since their captivity was about to begin. Xerxes appointed a new chief prince of Persia to rule directly under him in the affairs of the kingdom. This man's name was Haman. He was a vain but capable man who had the complete trust of the king. Enemies of the Jews quickly took advantage of this situation. As Haman walked through the palace, the king's servants would bow and give him reverence as Xerxes had admonished them to do. The only government official who would not bow was Mordecai. Mordecai was stationed at the king's gate, which was a busy center of activity. Whenever Haman passed through, all the servants bowed, except Mordecai. Mordecai was making a very public and literal stand for God. He refused to bow down to a man. Many of the servants were jealous of the position Mordecai held and the favor he had received after uncovering the plot to assassinate Xerxes. They were especially upset because Mordecai was a Jew. His refusal to bow to Haman was a chance to get him out of their way. The bitter servants approached Haman and drew his attention to the fact that Mordecai refused to bow when he passed by the king's gate. Haman decided to prove the matter for himself. Just as Haman was about to leave the room, they also mentioned that Mordecai was a Jew. Haman quickly walked to the king's gate, pretending to be on important business, just to see whether or not Mordecai would bow as he appeared before the crowd one by one all the people dropped to their knees all except Mordecai who continued his duties 
trying not to draw attention to himself. But he certainly drew Haman's attention. The prince erupted into a fury. He was outraged that a Jew, which he considered to be a second-rate human being, would have the gall to defy him. At first, Haman wanted to arrest Mordecai and have him executed, but he quickly decided that wouldn't be good enough. He thought for a moment and then devised a far more devious plan. He determined that the only way to set things right and to gain revenge was to kill all the Jews in the entire kingdom of Persia. Haman wanted a holocaust. Persia stretched from Greece to India and encompassed most of civilization. If he had his way, there would be almost no place for the Jews to flee. Haman carefully considered his scheme and then approached King Xerxes. Great king, he began. There is a strange people scattered throughout your kingdom who have their own laws and they do not obey your laws. They do not benefit Persia and should not exist in your kingdom. King Xerxes seemed intrigued by Haman's statement. If it please you, continued Haman, send out a royal decree declaring that these people be destroyed. We could give reward of 10,000 talents of silver to those who are willing to fulfill this request. The king truly trusted Haman. He didn't like the idea of people living in his kingdom who were not subject to his authority. After considering for a moment, Xerxes slipped the signet off his finger and handed it to Haman. Take the silver from the treasury and the men you need. Do what seems good to you. With that, Haman was given free reign to put his murderous intentions into action. He wasted no time. Haman went to the scribes of the court and wrote a royal decree to be sent to the entire empire. The order was also sent to the military leaders and the provincial governors. It read, By the command of King Xerxes of Persia, this decree is to be obeyed with immediate effect. On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, all Jews in the kingdom are to be destroyed by any means necessary. In one day, all Jews should be killed by the commandment of the king. Young and old, male and female, children and infants should not be spared. All of their belongings can be taken as spoil. The decree was carried throughout all the kingdom by the fastest riders. The people of Shushan were the first to hear the news. This is also where most of the Jews in Persia resided. The city was perplexed by the decree, and the Jews were terrified by the sudden death warrant. Eventually, news of the awful decree reached Mordecai. While reading it, Mordecai's hands began to shake. Stunned, he contemplated what this meant. The future had suddenly turned bleak. 
all the Jews in the kingdom, those in Shushan, those rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, those who desired to return to Judah were in danger. The very promise of the Messiah was threatened by the order to murder all the Jews. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.